Hello, I'm Gabby. This is the My Possible Self podcast. And if it's your first time joining us, welcome. If you're a returning friend, welcome back. Either way, we are absolutely thrilled to have you with us. Starting off this episode with some lovely news. My Possible Self has won the best mental health app at Glamour's 2022 Wellness Awards. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who voted. We do really appreciate the support. And of course, we will continue to work hard to assist you on your mental health and wellness journey. You have my word on that. And it's not just your mental health that we care about. We care about your families too. And today's episode will be specifically zooming in on the kiddos. Children and their mental health, exploring how diet and nutrition has such a tremendous impact on little ones' minds, cognitive function, brain development and emotions, and what we can do to best support their advancement. We are timing the release of this episode to coincide with Children's Mental Health Week. Place to Be launched the first ever Children's Mental Health Week in 2015 to shine a spotlight on the importance of children and young people's mental health. From the 17th to the 30th of February, schools, youth groups, organisations and individuals across the UK will take part. And this year's theme is Growing Together. The focus being to encourage children and adults to consider how they have grown and how they can help others to grow. And today's guest on the podcast, we are welcoming back the wonderful Lucinda Miller. Lucinda is a naturopath, iridologist, herbalist, and functional medicine practitioner who takes a scientific and holistic approach to identifying health problems. And she is a force when it comes to the world of families and their nutrition. A few weeks ago, we did an Instagram Live, which you can check out on the My Passable Self app, And we had so many amazing comments and feedback from all of Lucinda's wonderful advice and simple nutrition hacks. And there's plenty more to come on today's episode. So let's proceed with the show. Welcome Nature Docs, Lucinda Miller. It's really lovely to see you again. You are a specialist in children's nutrition, which is intrinsically linked to kiddos' mental health. So you are, in our eyes, the perfect guest for the podcast episode that goes out on Children's Mental Health Week. When we did our Instagram Live, which is available to check out on the My Possible Self app, then we did learn all about you and what led you into the field of nutrition. Uh, Not just children's nutrition. I know that you work with adults as well, but you really do focus on looking after our little ones. To kick off the episode, I think it'd be great if you did a quick summarization of what exactly it is that you do when you're working with your patients? Yes, so our team, we work with um, adults and children. Our speciality, even though we see everybody for everything, our speciality is mental health and neurodevelopment. So whether that's, you know, an adult with depression or it's a child with anxiety and OCD or a child with dyslexia or attention deficit or autism. So we see Um, a sort of whole sort of gamut of different conditions. We don't treat conditions as such, but what we find is there are some very shared metabolic pathways with a lot of these things. So we do a lot of functional testing, which means they're different tests to what a GP would offer Mm. or even a pediatrician or a neurologist. Like what? What kind of things? So we offer things like um, stool tests because there's been a massive link between the gut microbiome, which are the gut bugs in your tummy that are linked with mental health and cognition and brain health. And that balance of those bacteria in the gut can really influence how the brain works. So we're able to offer a full kind of microbiome testing. And then also we run urine tests, which look at sort of metabolic pathways, vitamin deficiencies, neurotransmitters, which are the brain hormones, things like that. And then we can do lots of other tests as well, like hormone testing, depending on the presentation. So we do that and that we use as our evidence, which then we take forward to use as our program sort of to say, well, you need this vitamin or you need to change your diet to do this or, you know, let's work on sleep or whatever it might be. 
Mm. Um, and yeah, and it, and it's wonderful because it's certainly not a one you know one solution fits all by any stretch of the imagination. So we could have five kids with dyslexia in the same day, and they might come back with completely different health plans depending on their presentation. You know, there will be obviously some commonality between the, all the health plans, but you know we might find that there are different genetic traits, or you know look at the family history or their diet, etc and come to slight conclusions. And then we use, as I said, those test results to then understand exactly what's going on and make things really fine-tuned. Wow. So if a child has dyslexia, I mean, and a lot of a lot of people have dyslexia, so the things that you suggest, is it to, like, ease their, the condition? Yes. So there are apparently about 8 million adults in the UK who have dyslexia and one in four children when they leave primary school do not meet the sort of expected level of reading, whether that's due to dyslexia or other reasons. But, you know, so it's a really, really big thing. This is affecting essentially about a quarter of our population in terms of you know, reading development anyway, whether it's dyslexia or not. And um, what's very interesting is, I don't know about you, but um, very much um, I was brought up in the era of eating a low-fat diet. Now, the thing that helps to nourish the brain are fats, so good fats. We're talking about eggs, we're talking about peanut butter, we're talking about sunflower seeds, even fats from things like liver and butter, you know, things that you don't, a lot of people don't necessarily eat these days. Um, And really what that is doing is helping the um, eye-brain connection Um, because a lot of dyslexia is to do with um, tracking. So that eyes, you know, the the words will sort of dash around the page, et cetera. Um, There can be glare, things like that, um, and divergence of, you know, their eyes can, you know, the stigmatism and things like that, all these sorts of things that can hamper reading. Um, And what we find that if you can get those foods in more and maybe supplement as well to speed things up, we also put in things like vitamin A, which again is super important for eyesight. Everyone knows carrots help you see in the dark. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, so all those vitamin A rich foods are so important. And basically they help to enhance that pathway. They help to nourish that pathway. Uh, Now, I'm not saying that what we're doing is getting rid of the dyslexia. And actually, I see dyslexia as a bit of a superpower. If you think about it, some of the most successful people in the world are dyslexic, whether it's Richard Branson or whoever it might be. Mm. So there are lots of people who've done extremely well, but they've had a really difficult time at school. And so often what happens is part of why a lot of people develop mental health issues is because of low self-esteem they feel they're not good enough they're at the bottom of the class they're thick you know they're you know they're labeled with all these things the teachers are frustrated they become naughty because it's boring trying to read stuff that they can't see so what i'm what what all of this is doing is not taking away the dyslexia as such because actually dyslexia is this incredible ability to think in 3d which is so important to be able to think out of the box and actually, we need those creative brains in our world to help us look for difference and new, new, new things in life. You know, that this is where the entrepreneurs often come in. But it's more about making it a little bit easier for them. And, you know, if we can get those eyes tracking better, if we can get them sleeping a bit better than calmer, you know, all those important things, then it's going to make a massive difference. Mm. The other thing that most dyslexics have are something called um, poor working memory or poor processing. And that is shared also by a lot of children and adults with dyspraxia, attention deficit disorder and autism. And it's often their brain is either working far too fast or far too slow. So it's it's keeping the information in your brain for the right amount of time to actually be able to process and work out the meaning of that. And again, nutrition is really, really key at getting that to hold. Because again, so many people think they're not very clever when they're actually incredibly bright. And very often, you know, when they get around to seeing an ed psych or someone like that, often the ed psych will report that the child is incredibly intelligent, but they're unable to access the curriculum for whatever reason. 
Wow. So I'm very, very passionate about getting that nutrition right. And a lot of it is, as I said, these fats. One of the key fats is something called omega-3. Omega-3 fatty acids come from oily fish, things like salmon, sardines, mackerel. Again, salmon's become quite trendy, but a lot of the others, you know, people aren't necessarily feeding their kids or themselves that much. Mm. But they're actually quite cheap. You know, they're easy. They can come in a little tin. You can have them in your store covers. There's always some there for, say, lunchtime or a quick, you know, quick supper or something like that. And these are super important. You can make them into pâtés as well. You know, fish pâté, great idea on toast. You know, instead of, you know, margarine and jam on your children's bread you know why don't you put some fish patty instead they might really really like it um so that these omega-3 is super important now there are sorts of people who don't eat fish for whatever reason and that could be because of allergies food preferences like being vegan or vegetarian or allergies um, or just they don't like fish you know lots of kids you know, lots of people just don't like the taste of fish. Right. And you can get some omega-3 in other foods. So in whole organic milk, not the conventional skimmed milk, because that takes all the fat out if you think about it. So it's the whole milk that has more vitamin D and omega-3 in it. And um, also in walnuts, flax seeds, chia seeds and hemp seeds, which, you know, again, you can scatter on cereal. But you need an awful lot of those compared with the fish. So the fish mm. is the primary way of getting it in. That's a really great, easy hack that you just mentioned about organic whole milk. Mm. So that's better than regular whole milk for getting the extra boost. It's got more vitamin A, it's got more omega-3, it's got more vitamin D. So it's much more nutritious. So even though it's a little bit more pricey and I know it's not accessible to everybody, but we can get it in our village shop. You know, you can get organic milk in most supermarkets now because mm. it's one food that really has had quite a lot of research done on it in terms of, you know, the extra nutrients that it brings. And it's because the cows eat grass rather than fed grains. Wow. And it's basically the grass fed. So even um, grass fed pork has more vitamin D in it than um say a conventional pork so mm -hmm. i'm not saying everyone has to eat organic all the time but one thing that they could swap is going to organic whole milk mm, brilliant so the theme of this year's children's mental health week is growing together i'm pretty confident i know the answer to this already from you lucinda but would you agree that in order for our little ones to thrive and grow physically mentally and emotionally nutrition is key it is super key. And there are three really important parts of nutrition. Basically, you need to be able to not only feed the brain, but feed the immune system and the gut at the same time, because all three of each other feed each other. So it's really interesting. Everyone just thought for years, literally up until relatively recently, that um, there was sort of almost a Berlin wall between your brain and your body and that they didn't interact and sort of almost like they were separate from each other. And that's why you've got psychiatrists who look after the brain and you have medical doctors who look after the body. However, now it's known that you have immune cells in your brain and that also there's a big nerve called your vagus nerve that links your brain and your gut. So, and that's a super highway that sends signals up and down all day, every day. And 90% of those signals go from your gut to your brain and only 10% from your brain to your gut. So what's going on in your belly and those gut microbes that I mentioned earlier are so important for brain health. So the great thing is a lot of these food diet hacks that I suggest are all really brilliant at feeding all three. That's incredible. And you're author of two children's recipe books, Amazon bestseller, The Good Stuff, which shares useful nutrition and parenting tips, as well as over 100 easy and nourishing kids recipes that adults will love too. Uh, and then more recently, I can't believe it's baby food, easy, healthy recipes for babies and toddlers that the whole family can enjoy which is summarised as the Healthy Weaning and Toddler Bible, how to wean your baby and feed your family at the same time. So you really are looking at this in the kind of 360 way, um, not separating the child from the parent in terms of like nourishment, nutrition, relationships with food. 
absolutely. So I think if you can eat together as much as possible, that's going to really nourish healthy habits. What parents always say is they always say, well, you know, I've tried really hard and they just won't eat their vegetables or whatever it might be. Mm. And actually very often there's mum eating a chocolate biscuit and sipping on a cup of tea trying to get their children to eat broccoli. And actually if they were sitting down with them and eating broccoli with them, then they might more likely be to eat it so Mm. I think family meals together can make a massive difference now I know that can be really hard we've all got busy lives especially as we're all going back into real life now and out of lockdowns and all that so I try and encourage eating breakfast together where possible family suppers if that works even if it's just with mum and dad comes along later or whatever it might be or just having a little bit with them you know when they're very small and then at weekends trying to encourage family meals where possible and even if you've got a tiny one and they're sitting on your knee you know if it's a Sunday lunch or something like that and they can just nibble little bits off your plate you know that's okay too because mm-hmm. they're really curious you know kids love to eat what other people are eating they're not so keen on what's on their plate right. um, yeah and um, yeah so that can encourage good good you know really positive relationship with foods because obviously one part of mental health can be eating disorders and obviously setting up that relationship early on the great thing is it's never too late to change things and even if it seems like your child is super stuck in certain eating patterns etc there are ways to switch that round and that's where I hope my recipes really help Mm. I mean most kids love to eat a waffle they love to eat a muffin they love pancakes and all of mine look super beige, but inside them, there are all sorts of things from eggs to yogurts to grant, you know, grated carrots to seeds to all sorts of things that nourish the brain, the gut and the immune system. Wow. And are some of these recipes on the My Possible Self app? Yes. Yeah, so obviously I've got my two books, but also um, every single Sunday we send out a newsletter and in that is a new recipe and they're all on my blog. Mm. So um, everyone can find those. And those are also some of the hand-picked ones for specifically for some nourishing the brain are now on your app. Amazing. And you mentioned about beige food, which immediately I thought of my nephew, who's just turned six and he's um, on the lowest scale, but he's got autism. And mm. when I tell you the entire family has, have been so worried about his diet, he, he won't eat anything of colour. You know, he's supposed to eat the rainbow. And I know it's like with children with autism, it's a sensory thing as well. But he has his set things that he'll eat. Cheesy garlic bread, McDonald's Happy Meal, chicken, it's got to be chicken nuggets. Um, mm. He won't actually eat the chicken bit, though. He just eats the bit with that's got no nutrition in it whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Matter. Yes. Yeah. So the, I'm definitely going to be sharing your hack about the whole milk because he does drink milk. Right. The um, organic one. Well, that would make a small change. And I think with with the very, very, very picky eaters, whether they have autism or sensory processing or just simply are just little pickles and just won't <laughs> eat whatever yeah. you're put in front of them. Again, on my blog, there are lots and lots of um, articles I've written about fussy eating and they highlight the reasons why that might be happening and what you can potentially do about it. And that's partly why we do all these tests on the kids, like stool test, the urine test, hair test, whatever it might be, because that gives a really good clue for why their preferences are so honed into such specific foods. And sometimes it's not just the autism. And it can be gut health, it can be lack of zinc, it can be lack of iron, etc. And actually, once you can get those in, sometimes through supplements, which can be quite tasty or quite quite easy to hide, um, then often within weeks, you find that the child is a little bit more willing and a little bit more flexible. So a lot of what we do in our nutrition is to create flexibility of brain. Wow. Well, how do we find your blog? What's the link? So that's natesdoc.co.uk. Fantastic. They're all there. So you can type in. Um, I don't like to talk too much about specific conditions no. on my blog. I tend to be quite general. So the best thing is to type in something like fussy eating rather than autism or ADHD, if you sit. I mean, it's best to mm-hmm. sort of look for the issue rather than the condition. Right. So many kids are fussy and stubborn as well. So I'm, I'm sure Absolutely. that will help. 
and so many well, people. What's really interesting is it's thought that those gut microbes can influence your character and that those that have a low diversity in their gut tend to be more rigid, more black and white, um, less mm. flexible. And those with a greater diversity can often be more flexible, more relaxed, more likely to eat different foods. So kind of once you can build up those microbes, then you can then start getting the foods in. So I think it's really important because I think a lot of people say, I don't think I could ever do that. My child is so fixed on X, Y and Z. And actually, sometimes all we do is put in probiotics because we know that they don't taste as much. They're quite easy to get into a child. You know, they're little powders that can go in a little bit of fruit smoothie or yogurt or milk even because they don't really taste. And then once those started populating in the gut again, they just find it easier. And it can take a long time. I'm not saying this is an instant thing, especially if it's really sort of, you know, dead set in, in, in their system. And, you know, some, you know, it is the autism and that is their, their sort of primary issue in the autism. And that's, that may not be able to shift, but so often it can be shifted. Yeah. And sometimes I think them because kids can be stubborn when you're saying you can't leave until you finish this, so it makes them dig their heels in even more. Of course. And you mentioned as well about leading by example. Our childhood shapes every aspect of our health. And as caretakers to little ones, whether we're parents or any any adult that touches a child's life, we've got this um opportunity to positively influence and that should absolutely include diet and relationship with our food and how we sit down and have a meal together like you said so with my children I've never really talked about food being healthy or not healthy because I don't like to differentiate that I think a lot of people say oh don't eat sugar sugar's bad you know that's unhealthy don't eat that and of course it makes a food look bad and of course what to kids want to do they want to eat the bad food because that's just the way the human brain works right so people say well what happens is you know I try and give them a really healthy diet at home but grandma will give them you know a, a donut or a biscuit and I'll go well the things that they're learning the most are your habits at home they won't remember being given that biscuit at school or by granny so much that they will remember your shepherd's pie. And even if they don't particularly during the teenage years sort of slightly rebel, very interestingly, they all come back later on once they start cooking for themselves and they think, oh, I've got to cook myself, you know, something that's going to feed myself. And they will probably go back to the food that they were given at home. Mm -hmm. So it's helping them as young adults as well to feed themselves once they've been influenced at home. And I was going to ask you as well about supplements, and you've already touched on that. So in, in cases where we just can't get them to eat certain foods that they need to get these supplements for, especially if they're deficient, although I don't know, maybe that's you'd have to go to somebody like yourself to, to find that out or, or maybe the GP, but mm. you, you do recommend supplements to help the kids think, get those yeah. vitamins. So we always say food first if possible, but yeah. sometimes, you know, that really is a too big a mountain to climb. It's going to take too long. So that's where I'm a big fan of some supplements just in the short term until they're ready to branch out and eat a better diet. Yeah. Which ones would you recommend? Well, I think, you know, you're talking about tests. I mean, a lot of parents are worried about children having blood tests, but the things that you can ask your GP for are iron and the iron stores, which is called ferritin, vitamin B12, folate and zinc. They used to do vitamin D, but they don't do it very often now. You really have to push for that. Um, it's just part of the NHS funding. You can do it privately. We do offer private fingerprint tests that you can do at home for me 12 months plus and we we do sell them on nature.shop for their 29 pounds so it's not very much so if someone really was keen to find out they could but the gp will do those um and actually that very often is an issue is like low iron is a big big factor they may not be marked anemic but um, what's really interesting is the um, markers. So it obviously differentiates the reference range is different for different ages. But essentially, it's from 12 to 400. 
And if you're at 11 or below, you'll be called anemic and the doctor will go in with iron supplements. But if you were 13, they wouldn't do a thing. Mm. And menstruating girls, for instance, need to be over 27. And if you want to have really good cognition, mental health, feel really energised, essentially it should be over 70. So Mm. there are an awful lot of people going around from 13 to 70 who just feel a bit low and near all the yeah. time. Yeah. And it's, they haven't got enough iron. And it's partly because, you know, very much the trend is we don't eat red meat, we're going plant-based. And of course, it's much harder to get the iron in through plant foods. You can. Plant foods do have iron. You know, chickpeas, lentils, mm. tofu, great sources. But very often people are eating a vegan pizza instead. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because it tastes nice. Um, so there may not be quite enough. And you do need to eat one heck of a lot of beetroot or kale or broccoli. Yeah, leafy greens, they say, don't they? Yeah, no, they're very good, but you need an awful lot. So it's the volume. And often children especially don't have the volume, you know, that an adult would probably be able to take. So yeah. iron is a big factor. When they're low in iron, they often have quite a low appetite. They can play in the sore tummies very tired very grumpy and probably you know not very good at actually eating and then there's zinc and zinc is super important zinc is really really important for immunity so most people have heard about it because of the last couple of years and covid and zinc's really good for the immune system etc yeah it's great but it also makes all your digestive juices so it wakes up those digestive juices to help you actually feel hungry and want to sort of digest the food but also it makes a sense of smell and taste. Now, how many people have lost their smell and taste over the last two years because yeah. their immune system, you know, and the COVID, et cetera. And part of that is not entirely all zinc. It's certainly not. And research is finding other, other factors as well. But zinc, you know, because you use up so much zinc when you're unwell. So you can imagine you've used up all your zinc stores or most of your zinc stores with COVID and then you come out of it and you still don't regain it because you're not eating those zinc rich foods Mm. and zinc rich foods are not really very much children's foods I mean the key one is oysters now how many people (laughs) eat oysters on a regular basis yeah Mm -mm. you know they're expensive they're slimy you know it's just not a child's food you know it just isn't yeah and so you you're sort of then it's nuts and seeds and whole grains and you know again you not allowed nuts in school so they're not getting the opportunity to have nuts at school a lot of kids are allergic you might have a sibling that's allergic so you can't have them in the house even some seeds people are becoming allergic to too so it's you know it can be quite hard pumpkin seeds are amazing so i'm a big fan of adding lots of pumpkin seeds but it's to granola or cookies or mm-hmm. flapjacks or porridge yeah. or whatever and then the whole grains you know um it's proper whole grain bread and things like that which a lot of kids have sent you know a lot of them only like white bread or are only offered white bread and a lot of people forget that white bread is things like baguette bagels pan au chocolat croissant all those all, all white yeah i think people forget that they just think of you know oh i don't give them white hovis or whatever and actually they're giving white in other mm. ways mm. so yeah the whole grains are full of zinc so zinc's really important and that's another key one that the doctor can find if you're low or not mm. um, we do have other tests that can establish that if you just think your child's never going to have a blood test they're going to be too anxious for it um, and zinc really helps to regulate the brain it helps with learning it helps to, to regulate emotional sort of stability and also self-regulation because a lot of kids are very impulsive find it very difficult to kind of self-regulate yeah zinc super that just listening to you talk about zinc and iron it's making me think about well I know a lot of adults that take those supplements and it's maybe because they've googled the symptoms and they're like oh I'm probably iron deficient because I'm I'm a vegetarian or 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 whatever but then I wonder like kids can't vocalize the same thing so they could be feeling fatigued but they wouldn't be like oh by the way I'm feeling fatigued you know and I wonder like you see in the the shops the children's multivitamins and that's usually the go-to but like in terms of like being a bit more specific for your child's nutritional needs like we are for ourselves as adults you're just giving me sort of food for thought there and I'm I'm sharing that takeaway to bring that into other people's minds as well yes absolutely and most you know off the shelf multivitamins do not contain iron so iron is a mineral 
And most of these vitamins that are geared towards kids are vitamins. So they've got usually vitamin A, C, D, maybe E in there, maybe some B vitamins sometimes, but they don't contain the iron. So iron supplements are usually separate. And iron's quite bulky. So that's one reason why they're not in the multivitamins, because they just take up so much room. Um, and secondly, they can there's a, they can oxidize with some of the other ones, so they can sort of slightly conflict. So that's why often they're separate. But you can get you know brilliant iron sprays that taste of like pomegranate or berry. You can get um, you know Floridex, which is really nice sort of fruity flavor. So there are lots of quite child friendly irons that you can get. So it's not hard. Mm. If a child's diet is poor later on in life in terms of physical problems they might develop osteoporosis type 2 diabetes cardiovascular diseases but earlier on the signs are there if their diet is in need of an overhaul they've got gut issues sleeping feeding and immune issues irritability poor memory focus or processing skills um, if they're itchy. So these things shouldn't be ignored. The great thing is that nutrition can be restored relatively quickly. Sometimes you do need to go with, you know, quite high dose supplements. And that's where, you know, a qualified nutritional therapist or functional medicine practitioner or naturopath would be able to help you to get that really geared to the right amount. So, you know, it do- it's never too late to get it right. Um, that's what I feel. It's really important. So people can't feel so good. Oh, there's no point. You know, I can't be bothered. They're 16 now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can. I mean, a good broad spectrum multivitamin and mineral will contain most things. It can affect your mental health just as much. There are many things that can drive mental health issues. Obviously, trauma is very big. And that seems to be, a you know, across the board. I'm sure you've covered this Mm -hmm. endless time. Yeah. So childhood trauma, um, you know, birth trauma even, you know, there are so many factors that can can drive that. They're called adverse childhood events. Um, but also stress, you know, just being put under too much stress. And as I was going back to, you know, though kids with learning difficulties or learning differences or, you know, neurodiversity can often find life much harder work, much more stressful. So that can be part of it. But the nutrition is key. And I think if you can keep them sort of buoyed up with all the goodies, then it's going to make a massive difference. And your brain needs these nutrients. So basically, the iron transports oxygen to the brain. And we all know one of the reasons, you know, one of the main things that our brain needs is oxygen to help it thrive. Um, And then all the B vitamins and all the good fats help to make, you know, all the cell membranes and help the connections between the brain cells. So all of those things will really help. And then, as I said, these gut microbes, which can be fed by eating the rainbows. So lots of different colours of fruit and veg each day. And it's all those coloured pigments. So even if your child only eats carrots, give them purple carrots, yellow carrots and orange carrots rather than just the straight orange carrots, because those will help to feed the microbiome more. Um, So it's getting the different colours in really counts, like different coloured peppers, you know, kids love red peppers but what about yellow peppers or you know orange peppers instead you know just to sort of build in that diversity adding spices and herbs to food can really make it delicious but also add diversity as well putting in cultured foods and that for you know could be kefir or yogurt or miso or apple cider vinegar into the food can make a big difference you know to their microbiome so all of those things can bolster those neurotransmitters and it's those neurotransmitters which are our brain hormones that help to keep us positive 90 percent of our serotonin is made in the gut serotonin helps you sleep helps you be in a good mood helps you poop even so those that are sort of constipated can't sleep and really low might be low in serotonin Mm. I'd love to um, get your opinion on a recent study. You might even be aware of this. Um, It examined the association between children's consumptions of fruits and vegetables, their meal choices and their mental well-being. Researchers collected data from more than 50 schools analysing from almost 9,000 children, including primary schools, secondary schools and further education colleges. 
So the results found that higher levels of fruit and vegetable consumption were associated with higher mental well-being scores among secondary school children. It also found that in secondary school children, only consuming an energy drink instead of breakfast was associated with lower mental well-being scores than not eating breakfast at all. For both primary and secondary school children, the scientists found that mental well-being scores were higher for those who had breakfast or lunch than for children who did not eat these meals. In a class of 30 secondary school children, they found that only 25% of children ate five or more fruits and vegetables a day and one in 10 ate none. And I found this quite shocking. The lower mental well-being scores of those who had no breakfast and those who had no lunch were of the same scale as those who witnessed regular arguing or violence at home. Huge. I mean, this is why it's so important. And I think most parents with a primary age child will do their best to feed their kids breakfast. But there's something that flips as soon as they're getting that bus to secondary school. You know, as soon as they're independent, very often, I think parents, and I'm not saying this happens to every, every single family, but a lot will go, oh, right, well, they can make their own breakfast, they'll be fine. And they're not really observing necessarily what they're eating. Also, teenagers don't like getting up in the morning. You know, they actually do need more sleep than, you know, and they like to get up later. So often they're in a rush. So that's why it's good to have things like ready-made waffles, muffins, whether it's a smoothie that you've made that they can just pick up and consume on the bus on the way to school or just to really pack their bag with lots of really good snacks. So even if they're not having breakfast at breakfast time, maybe they might start to feel hungry at, say, 10. And again, get more breakfast in then. There's a big um, push at the moment. There's an organisation called Bite Back and Jamie Oliver is part of this too. And basically there's masses and masses of schools and school children who have said that their school food is not good enough. And I think the last two years, has, especially the secondary schools, the food has gone really downhill. And most of the food on offer is beige, pretty, you know, highly processed foods. They're not good, nutritious meals. So you can see where a child is going to skip that they might go to the corner shop and pick up a packet of crisps and some sweets instead or an energy drink yeah. because there's really not much else there to eat. And actually, you know, pat lunches can get quite dull. It's hard, you know. Um, a sandwich, you know, especially on a cold day, might not be that appetising. Yeah. Um, so I do think that this needs to go to a government level and really be worked upon because, uh, and even, you know, the few primary schools that I visited at breakfast time you know breakfast clubs sound great but so often yes it is breakfast it's better to have breakfast than nothing at all but it's still sort of you know white bread with very processed jam and margarine or you know very sweet cereal rather than you know good nutritious slow release carb that's going to keep them going all morning so I think there's a lot that needs changing. And this is where, you know, Marcus Rashford and all those wonderful people that have been pushing for better school meals um, and, you know, m more food tokens and so forth, vouchers for the holidays. It's so important because there are lots of low income families that literally can't afford food. You know, yeah. they just don't have the food, you know, and if they can do that at school. So this is slightly out of these figures, but I'm, <clears throat> if I can remember rightly, in the war, every child was offered a lunch that was at least 1,200 calories. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nowadays, the maximum a school lunch can offer is 570. Gosh. So, of course, everyone's panicking about calories and, gosh, these kids are putting on weight, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I was going to say, because the child obesity rates, there's something not talking to the other there in terms of like lower calories and yet children are more weighty than they were. Yes. So, so I don't think particularly it's to do with calories. I think what it is, is that kids are not eating proper meals. Right. And then they're snacking and those snacks are all very ultra-processed, pro-inflammatory, mess around with the blood sugars. You know, there's a lot of salt, sugar and fat 
I'm not anti-salt, sugar or fat, but it's those fake foods that they put. So in a biscuit used to be flour, sugar and butter. Now, if you look at the label on the biscuits in a supermarket aisle, there will be hydrogenated fat. There will be um, very highly processed flour. There will be um, acidity regulators, natural flavorings, sweeteners, all these extra things, glucose, fructose syrup, and all of those things are not real foods. They're all very highly processed. And it's that highly processed foods that is really driving obesity. So if you can give a child three really good meals a day, yeah, they'll snack a bit, but they won't snack nearly as much. Right. As a child not getting three decent meals. Again, like we know this for, for adults, that's it said, you know, make sure that you're getting enough protein. I don't think we emphasise it perhaps enough to include children in that as well, maybe. I agree, I agree. So this study that I referred to was published in the journal BMJ Nutrition Prevention and Health, and they've prompted mm. experts to call for the inclusion of good nutrition in public health strategies to boost children's mental health. Data indicates that poor mental health amongst young people is soaring. The Guardian reported that record numbers are seeking access to NHS mental health services. This is in regards to, to young like young people and children. Mm. In just three months, nearly 200,000 young people have been referred to mental health services. That's almost double pre-pandemic. And this was according to a report by the Royal College of Psychiatrists. It's massive. It's huge. Yeah. 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 It's all got worse and worse and worse. I mean, the number of people that sent me photos of what the child was offered at lunch or, you know, breakfast club or whatever were horrendous. You know, everything was in a packet because they could because of COVID. Everything was because of COVID. And I think a lot of the schools that were offering fantastic food, you know, they had all these restrictions. It wasn't necessarily their fault. But I hope they need to sort of bring back the old again, which, um, you know, now we're coming out of it. Um, and really work on that. And I just hope that the government listen and they offer more food vouchers, fruit and veg vouchers. I would love every child to do a sort of equivalent of a GCSE in cooking, because I think cooking skills, a lot of people just don't have those skills. So that's yeah. why they will end up with microwave meals, because it just looks too overwhelming. Mm. Um, and actually, it's it works out in the end much cheaper to cook from scratch obviously you do need some facilities you know you do need a hob you do need a fridge or a freezer you need you know things like scissors and knives and saucepans etc which some people don't have but um, the majority of people do have those things and if they can just do as much as they can from scratch even and I know we're all time poor, we're knackered, we're stressed, it's tough. But there are little things, as I said, whether it's making a quick porridge, overnight oats is easy because like the night before you literally put oats and yogurt and some apple juice and some, I know, berries, nut butter, whatever in. And then in the winter, you can heat that up the next morning. And But in the summer, you just literally eat it straight out of the fridge. Easy peasy. Mm. Scrambled eggs don't take long. So there are all these things that can be done um, and not necessarily go for the cereals that have obviously been, you know, are quite sugary and processed. Yeah, yeah. We we did chat on our Instagram live and the video again is up on the app for people to, to watch. We talked about, you know, people, families that are on a budget and so might not have access they believe anyway to be able to access loads of these healthy foods, vegetables. Certainly the word organic is associated, isn't it, with spend more money? Yes, absolutely. Of course, of course. And that's not necessary. It was just really the milk we were talking about. You know, if you're going to make oh, yeah, one change, absolutely. good change. But, you know, if you go into a Lidl and Aldi, whatever it might be, there are lots of very good cheap fruit and veg. Local yeah. markets are fantastic. As I said, at the end of the day, um, there's often they're giving away, you know, like a whole bag of carrots mm. for nothing mm. because they're just get rid of things. So there's, you know, often you can find these foods. It's just being a little bit more proactive, I guess, and making it more of a priority. Yes, absolutely. And I 
coming from six years living in America um, in terms of like grocery shopping, actually, it's really, really, really inexpensive to eat healthily in the UK. Like the difference in price between, you know, a chunk of broccoli in England versus in America. And there it's more likely to be sprayed with all sorts of pesticides and stuff that you don't want to be consuming. So you have to try and go organic as much as possible. I mean, my grocery bill was three, four times what it would be in the UK just to make sure That's I was getting my um, my nutritional content out of my food, which also plays into I don't want to get myself ill because if I get myself ill and I have to, well, I don't want to get myself ill anyway, but over there, if I'm, if I'm ill, then you've got to think about like medical insurance and whatnot. Of they don't have the NHS. Yeah, so I think it's as well, it's like maybe reframing thoughts and um, appreciating what we have and utilising it. In different countries, and again, I don't have the data to hand, but, um, you know, if you go to, say, Asian countries or African countries, food is seen as a priority in terms of people's budget, way more than other things. Mm. Um, so I think, again, it's a reframing of, of what's important. Mm. Um, and I know it can be hard. And, it, you know, we're, we've got so many demands on us, like household bills are going up, fuel bills are going up, everything, you know, inflation's a big thing at the moment. And I know it's hard, but you can do your five a day for under 50p a day. So mm. it's not impossible unless someone's mm. on a super low budget. Yeah. And I've got two uni age kids and they're doing well. You know, they eat a lot of lentils and a lot of tin tomatoes and yeah. things like that. Lots of pasta. But they, you know, they are able to get their veg in and they've yeah. got a lot of frozen veg, for instance, in their uni uni yeah and it's good to feel good and it's good to feel satisfied from a meal like it shouldn't be seen as a chore i know that some people still are a bit like old-fashioned in terms of like well we'll just sort of boil a bit of broccoli and put that on the side of the plate and then no wonder the kid's not really that bothered about it but maybe if you i don't know roasted it with some avocado oil or you know did something with it and then it becomes a bit more tasty then it's not suddenly mm something I have to do that I don't get much pleasure out of. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about making food super tasty and also incorporating it into food. So if they will eat sauces, for instance, you can get so many vegetables into a tomato sauce. Um, and, you know, I'm constantly chucking in pulses and veggies into, into my sauces. And I, it could be a, an Italian or a Chinese stir fry or, uh, you know, sort of broccoli or, you know, all these things you can get as long as it's got some nice garlic and herbs and things like that. They love it. Mm. Mm. I don't want to keep you for too much longer, but I do have to bring this up because I promised somebody I would who messaged me on Facebook. Um, he was asking and we mentioned again in our chat, well, we talked a bit about the gut brain connection on Instagram yeah. and today, too. Uh, I was asked recently if I know anything about the microbiome and its association to our mental health. And then there's this new study by uh, University Hospitals Cleveland Medical Center has reported there's a growing body of evidence linking depression to microbiome health. Researchers propose focusing on the microbiome may help alleviate some of the symptoms of depression associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I was asked, what were the thoughts there? And I was like, I'm going to wait until I've spoken to Lucinda because I'm sure she's got far more insight than I do. Yes, there's a lot of evidence that building that healthy, diverse microbiome with all the different fruits, veg, whole grains, nuts, seeds, pulses, etc. Um, and obviously probiotics and cultured foods, if you can, that will make a massive difference to your mental health. And so the two key probiotic strains that you know, most people have heard about will see one's called lactobacillus, the other's called bifidobacterium. And they both make a neurotransmitter called GABA. And GABA is your natural, cool, calm in a yogi. So if you're super anxious, then nourishing those two probiotic strains will make a big difference potentially to your anxiety levels. Um, and then there are different other probiotic strains that help, as I said, to make serotonin, adrenaline and dopamine. And all of these need to be kind of buoyed up 
to um, help to lift the mood and help with lift focus and you know sleep etc so if you can get that all nourished a bit more just think how can I get more veg in how can I get more fruit in? you know could I put a piece of fruit in my child's book bag you know or um, can we all have a, a sort of lots of different colored hummuses you know when we get back from school with some carrots and celery and red pepper or something like that all going to help and with adults as well it's super important for everybody I think and it's just very easy to you know I'm not anti-pizza at all I love pizza it's fantastic occasionally you know we'll have it once in a blue moon I sort of made a sweet potato kind of um, pizza last week which was absolutely delicious um, so yeah you can make different types of pizza it's just more that isn't much fruit or veg on there you know or pulses or anything so you often, you know, if you're going to eat pizza, why not you make a really lovely big salad with lots of different colours and different sort of carrots and, you know, cucumber and different coloured tomatoes. And so maybe interesting things like pomegranate or some mint or some parsley in there just to make it really tasty on the side of your pizza. So you're having a bit of both. Mm. And share it with your kids. Yeah, share it with your kids because they, they might just pick out the pomegranate seeds or yeah. the, you know, the or the bit of cucumber. Um, but you know, eventually they will pick out other bits too. And it will just help to build their sort of interest in food. Fabulous. Lucinda, this has been brilliant again. You're such a wealth of information on this. So, you know, thank you very much for sharing more of your precious time with my possible self. Gabby, it's been an absolute delight. I've loved chatting to you to get again and I hope that we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, that would be great. And um, all of Lucinda's yummy recipes, well, not all of them because she has like hundreds, but a lot of them are on the My Possible Self app and uh, you should also check out the books as well, especially if you've got little kiddos that could do with that boost of goodness from their food absolutely hello friends it's gabby back with you well done for making it through to the end of the episode how good was that conversation with lucinda if i do say so myself she is just absolutely fantastic at what she does and so passionate and informed Uh, i really hope you took a lot from this episode And with that, it's time for me to sign off, not before a quick plug that if you're not already following My Possible Self on social media, then you can find us really easily on Instagram and Twitter. We are at My Possible Self. Until the next one, take care and bye for now.